Surf's up, kids. That's right, summertime is in full effect. Okay, it has been for about a month now. I am Chris Abalo, and this is Chris Abalo's Podcast Experiment. Episode number seven. Lucky number seven. Welcome to the show. I was really tempted to start this off with doing that annoying DJ routine of just like, hey, it's summer, we got cool tunes to help you beat the summer heat, and all that other crap. Fun in the sun, all that nonsense that you hear. Those annoying DJs that you just want to club over the head. With a tank. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Just that, that little bit that you got before, that's all you're going to hear. But anyway, welcome to the show. It is a full-on summer, so I thought a little surf rockish kind of riff was in season. So that's what you got at the beginning of the show. And it's June. And what does June mean for me? Renewing my driver's license. Hey, maybe it does for you too. There are a lot of us who drive. I'm not going to subject you all to the full story of me going to the DMV, but... I live in the Sherman Oaks area. That's the closest, let's say, uh, large town in the area where I am. And I went over to Glendale, which is just, I don't know, 10 miles away, something like that. Not all that far to go to that DMV to get my California driver's license. And long story short, ended up waiting there for five hours and still wasn't seen. There were a ton of people there. Obviously, this is just a couple days ago, so it's near the end of the month. But I still figured, all right, well, it can't be that crowded. It was. There was one person processing driver's license renewals. I had been there five hours, and there were still 12 people ahead of me. And this woman would process one person, from what I could see, would just go and yak with somebody and refill her coffee or whatever the hell she was doing. And uh, yeah, I wasn't dealing with that. So I ended up just leaving, and the next day went out to a DMV out in the valley in the Thousand Oaks area, where I was in and out in less than an hour. It was incredibly painless. So that was that was a huge relief. No one likes going to the DMV, but fortunately, on the second try, I did okay. And one of the interesting things I noticed while I was out, I always have stories of being out and about, or I kind of share my observations of what I've seen when I've been out, but that's because how much am I really going to see in my apartment? I live alone, all sad for me, but I do. I live by myself. I have a lot of neighbors who have kids and all that, so it's not like I hang out necessarily with people in my complex, not, not that I avoid them either. But the most interesting things you see, you tend to see when other people are doing them or when you're out among the public. And there we go. Uh, Although this doesn't have to do with people so much. Uh, When I was out, I've said a bunch of times, I don't normally drink soda, but I have a big problem with going and buying a 20-ounce bottled water for $1.50. And I mean, I I understand. I've made us think about it in the past. I don't understand why people buy the 24-packs of bottled water and just keep them around the house, just drink them at home. I think that's insane because why can't you just buy a Brita pitcher or something like that or buy water by the gallon? I'll admit, I do buy bottled water living in California. I can't speak for the state, but in Los Angeles, there's a funky taste in the water. It tastes weird. And having just gotten back a couple of weeks ago from visiting New Jersey, the tap water has a distinctive taste to it out here that New Jersey water doesn't have, and that I've never tasted in other water. So I do buy bottled water, but I buy gallons and put it in my fridge and pour a glass when I want some water. The gallons are 99 cents a piece or a dollar or what have you. 
and that's good enough for me. If I'm going to drink water at home, there we go. But I don't like paying for water so much when I'm out because most places have, uh-oh, you hear that Jersey accent? Water. Water. I'm going to lean really heavily into it when I say it from now on. No, I'm not going to do that to you. Sometimes certain words, my accent does come out a little bit. If I have one at all, it's on words like water and coffee and mall. Sometimes I'll say mall and it'll sound super exaggerated. Anyway, the water thing. So unless I'm out at the beach or the boardwalk or something and I'm, I didn't bring a refrigerated gallon of water with me or a cooler or something like that, I may buy a bottle of water. But on the average day, I'm going to grab something else. And while I don't drink a lot of soda, I happen to stop after getting my driver's license just to grab something real quick and just to browse. I needed some stuff for the apartment, so I popped into a nearby store and I was just in the mood for a soda, so I grabbed a Pepsi. And I have to say, I am very... I don't know if impressed is the right word, but I'm pleased with Pepsi because on the, this iconic summer bottle, it has right on the front, very clearly, it says 250 calories per bottle. And the bottle serving size on the nutrition facts is one bottle. So all of the nutrition facts are laid out accurately as far as the sugars and the carbs. I mean, they always are accurate, but normally you have to do math. I mean, in a case like this, it would be Maybe in the past, it would have been 100 calories per serving, but they're two and a half servings, so that ends up being 250 calories, and you kind of need to figure it out. And I'm really, really pleased to see that they're not trying to be deceptive at all with the label. It's very straightforward and says right on the front that, you know, they own it. Hey, 250 calories per bottle. Serving size, one bottle, because it's a 20-ounce bottle. If somebody's buying it, they're going to drink. They're not going to pour an eight-ounce serving and then another eight-ounce serving. Someone's going to drink the whole bottle of Pepsi. So I'm not endorsing Pepsi necessarily, and I'm not saying I'm going to buy it any more often, but my hat's off to Pepsi. If I wore a hat, I would take it off to Pepsi for at least being upfront about like, hey, here's how many calories in uh, the bottle of soda. So I do, I do like that. So thank you, Pepsi. Good move. Oh, I forgot to do the usual plugging at the front of the show. Yes, uh, subscribe to this show on iTunes. It will be coming soon to an app near you, probably in your pocket on your smartphone. But for now, subscribe on iTunes. Give the show five stars, write a little review saying, hey, Chris is funny, or Chris needs to get more guests on the show, or whatever the hell. (laughs) Go back to actually interviewing people, and don't just sit and yak by yourself for an hour. But yeah, check out the show, and check out the only podcast that matters, which I'm still on pretty much every other week, sometimes two weeks in a row, sometimes two weeks off, but you can still hear me banter with my friends about what's going on in life, in the world around us. Every single Friday at theonlypodcast.com. You can also find that show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and Beyond Pod and all sorts of places. On SoundCloud as well. Several clips on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash theonlypodcast. And a bunch of videos on YouTube.com slash theonlypodcast. So go check those out. It's about 30 videos on there that you can take a look at. Um, Speaking of which, it was brought up to me while we're on the topic of shows and uh, iTunes specifically, I'd mentioned in the last episode, I I will be marking when the shows are explicit and I will be saying up front if the show that you're listening to is going to be explicit. And it was brought to my attention that, well, when you go to the iTunes store, every show is labeled as explicit. Yes, it is because the show has a default explicit setting, but the individual episodes I can manually change to be explicit yes or no or clean, which... Mm, I wouldn't go so far as to necessarily mark the episodes as being clean. So I'm just going to go with explicit no. And same thing, this episode is going to be explicit. It's just me talking at you again. So no worries, I'll be keeping my language in line and all that. But uh, as far as iTunes is concerned, which is the only subscription service you can use right now to get 
the podcast experiment to get cape. When you download the episodes, if I have marked them as explicit, then they will show as being explicit when you look at a listing of episodes of this show. And like I said, there are very few explicit episodes, so I will tell you if one is going to be. If I'm doing a solo show like I am now, it's very, very unlikely it's going to be explicit unless I'm really, really heated about something. But if I'm sitting down and bantering with somebody or interviewing or chatting with someone else, the conversation may get a little bit blue. And I will say so up front in case you're listening to this on a device and aren't checking to see whether or not it's explicit. So that is that. And something else that was brought to my attention in the first episode, I was talking about the national obsession we have with bacon and how I think it goes a little bit too far sometimes. And one of the things I mentioned was bacon scope. And it was revealed to be an April Fool's joke, the commercial that they had on YouTube and all that about like, hey, bacon scope. And they had a whole fact page on the scope website. It was it came out as being just an April Fool's joke and how they were kind of poking fun at themselves and the whole bacon obsession and all that. That's fine. I was using that more as a point of, as since that was revealed to be a joke, my point was that bacon isn't everything so much so that while I wasn't saying it on that show, and I certainly wasn't going to go back and fix anything, but it kind of shows how ridiculous we are when it comes to bacon and how much everything has to be bacon flavored and bacon is the, the candy of the meat world or the carnivores candy or whatever the hell people say. So uh, it was more pointing that out. I'm aware that it's a hoax and that Bacon Scope isn't coming to a store shelf near you. But that does bring me to cravings. And on the last episode, I was talking about how I missed Sonic and how I was hoping to get Sonic. I did get Sonic, actually. I believe I mentioned that, that I got Sonic the day I flew back from New Jersey to Los Angeles. And uh, I was really craving it again. And I was hanging out with my sister the other weekend, and I said... What do you think about going to Sonic? There was a Sonic about 20 miles from where we live, which is all highway, so it's not far, and it's not going into a heavy area. It's a little bit past Pasadena, where this particular Sonic drive-through is, or drive-in. Sonic drive-in? It's Sonic, whatever. But I said to her, hey, what do you think about taking a ride over to Sonic? I'm sure she hasn't had it in a while. She hasn't been home since last year, uh, home being New Jersey. So I said, why don't we go and have, because I really, I, I could go for one of those hot dogs and maybe a supersonic cheeseburger or whatever. So we ended up going. So I did fulfill my craving for Sonic again. And it's so weird if you say you drove 20 miles to go anywhere in a place like in in California, especially because you're around a heavily populated area and there's stuff everywhere. I mean, it's a city. So stuff is pretty easily accessed, but there's certain things that are a little far away. The closest famous days is like 30 miles, I think, from where I am. But I'd be willing to drive it. Not every week, but I wouldn't be going every week anyway. But once in a while, hell, I used to have to drive 40 miles to get to either of the two Whole Foods in the area. And that was 40 miles one way. So I'm not against driving somewhere to get something that I want to get or to go somewhere I want to go once in a while. It's not necessarily a weekly thing, but oh, it was nice to have Sonic again. That was a very pleasant evening out. Silly as it sounds. It was pleasant to go out and get some fast food, but... It really was. Oh, actually, speaking of going out and getting food, this was pretty interesting. Uh, I went to Subway last week and ran into twins. There was one twin who was making my sandwich, and I didn't realize it at the time. One guy was making my sandwich, and another one rung me up, and I did a double take, which doesn't everybody do that when you see two twins, which is redundant because twins obviously come in pairs. But when you see twins... Don't you always kind of do a double take thinking, especially in a place like that where it's the same job. One is making sandwiches and one is on the register. It's, 
it's almost just a, a knee-jerk reaction. Like, wait a minute, didn't you just make my sandwich? You're over there making a sandwich and you're on the register? How is that possible? And then your brain realizes, oh, yeah, twins. Uh, and all the more reason because they're also dressed the same way, working at the same place. You think, huh, because I don't know. If I had a twin, I would probably make sure we weren't working in the same place. Or we apply at two different jobs and then we just alternate between them. One of us applies at one of the jobs, one of us applies at another job, and then you can just switch off and then you just split the paychecks. <laughs> I think that would be a lot more fun, a lot more entertaining for coworkers. They might think you're incredibly forgetful if somebody references something from the day you weren't there, but that's the way I would go about it. But yeah, did, did a double take, and I'm sure they get that all the time, so I shouldn't feel that strange about it, but I think everybody has that, that same reaction of, oh man, there's two of you, huh? That's weird. A lot of people must react that way. And how can you not? Because it's, oh, there's two of you, and it's not a double mint commercial. Why do they even, they probably haven't run those in years, have they? Okay. Well, if you were born in the 80s, you probably saw double mint commercials once upon a time. Twins riding a, a bicycle built for two, or uh, twin girls in bikinis walking on the beach. And of course, a whole horde of guys are tripping over each other because they're like, whoa, there's two of them, and they're hot. It's crazy, right? All right. A couple of, technology-related things that I need to pick apart because it just calls for it. Because I've seen a lot, well, I've seen a lot of both of them lately, but the first one that I keep seeing in my Twitter feed is Twitter parody accounts. Now, how much time do people have on their hands that they need to create an account as someone else to tweet jokes or sayings or whatever it is? Because I see all the time people, different people who I follow who retweet various Will Ferrell parody accounts with jokes and not even as Ron Burgundy or Frank the Tank, not as a character that he played, but as Will Ferrell. Uh, like, are you kidding? And you're just going to tweet a bunch of jokes. That are, they are just jokes, but they're just tweeted anonymously, I guess, because Will Ferrell isn't on Twitter. Apparently, there's no official account. And same thing with Will Smith is another one. I see these motivational sayings that people retweet and it's will smith and then you go to the because i'm curious i'm thinking wow i don't know will smith or will ferrell or other people named will were on twitter officially and then you look and just say oh this is a will parody now first of all it's not really a parody account unless you're making fun of the person i would think wouldn't it be a tribute account i I know i realize this is maybe getting a little too specific for something as silly as tweeting at someone other than yourself there were nine thousand Ted the Bear accounts last summer when Ted came out or leading up to it even where people just have these rude jokes or uh, picking apart somebody, kind of like I'm doing now. No, but they would uh, just tweeting jokes anonymously. And granted, my Twitter feed isn't all laugh out loud jokes. I do like tweeting funny musings or things other people might find funny, but I don't feel the need to do it <laughs> behind the uh, avatar of a celebrity, especially when they're not on Twitter, I think that's a, a little bit ridiculous. So who are these people? How do they have the time to, I'm going to come up with these jokes and uh, post them as Will Ferrell and give me a break. Seriously, just, just get a life. Go do something else. You have too much time in your hands if you're creating a phony Twitter account. Tweet as yourself. That should be good enough. Or if it's not, then uh, stay off Twitter. The other thing is and this is all over Twitter as well, is these Vine videos. <sighs> now, the, the only reason I think this is ridiculous, and I'm sure same thing is going to sell for a couple of billion dollars or it's going to be like Instagram, and supposedly Instagram is going to be doing a similar video thing. But the problem I have with it is all the videos I've seen are all six seconds long. 
And I just don't understand the point. It may be a quick compilation of things to to that add up, I guess, to something funny. But are we that bored? Are we so in need of entertainment or distraction that people actually need to put effort into creating these six-second videos? But the, who's watching these things? Who's saying, eh, I got a few seconds. Let me see what's going on on Vine. It, I mean, maybe the same thing was said when it was, who's going to want to read things that are written in 140 characters? It's Who's going to like Twitter? This is different, though. You can set up a joke and put a punchline within 140 characters. Like, Albert Brooks is great at it. He'll do just these jokes. He's, he's fantastic to follow on Twitter. Uh, if you don't already, follow Albert Brooks. But his tweets will basically be one or two sentence jokes. Like, a, like here's an example of one from, at this point, it must have been back in the fall, said, uh, went to the theater, uh, went to the movie theater to see Lincoln, only balcony seats left, passed. Uh, like, that's hilarious. That's just a joke confined within a certain amount of characters. Nothing wrong with that. Six-second video? I, I just don't understand. I, I don't get the point. And there are a few I've seen where people do things with Legos, little kind of animated bits, and that's okay, but I wouldn't go looking for them. And, uh, and stuff gets retweeted and everything has this kind of virality that, I mean, that's how things like Gangnam Style become huge, is that they have, they have the little moment where they're uh, kind of a short-lived trend and that's it. So I realize some of these videos may go viral, but I mean, it's six seconds long. Who needs to sit and watch a video that's six seconds? Are, are we that afraid of being left alone with our own thoughts <laughs> that people aren't, are actually going to go to a, a mobile site? I don't even know if it's a site itself, to be honest. I guess it's an app that you create these things with, but, and even um, my beloved friend Andrew has started doing it where he, uh, he showed me a few of these videos on Vine. And then some of these people actually combine their videos into compilations and put them on YouTube. So they add up to a whopping minute of video. So it's 10 of these six second videos, I guess, compiled together. And then they have to put them on YouTube. Can't you just make a minute long video for YouTube and call it a day? I can at least see maybe people seeking that out to say, I'm going to watch this quick video for a minute. Because there's always the inevitable time during a get-together, whether it's a bunch of friends hanging out or a party or something, where people are going to show each other funny things they saw on YouTube. Especially now that YouTube is on TVs and every... It has been for a while, but now that you can pull up YouTube on your Xbox or PlayStation or Blu-ray player or, or Roku or whatever, then uh, now people go searching for videos and you can watch them on TV. You don't need to huddle around a computer monitor anymore. I can at least see that more than, hey, look at this quick thing on Vine. Hey, it's over. It's, no, I, I don't get it. It's another one of those things I just never understand. And no, I'm not going to get a Vine account because uh, I have, I'm sure I have better things to do than create videos that are six seconds long. Oh, and getting back to Twitter for a second, I know I went on the Vine tangent, but just one more thing, two more things that need to go when it comes to patterns or hashtags on Twitter or things that just need to leave the national conversation. The two terms that I'm just beyond sick of at this point, one of them is first world problems. Look, if you're going to put first world problems in front of a tweet or you're going to mention that whatever it is you're complaining about in the moment is a first world problem, then you're admitting up front how petty it is. Whatever you're going to complain about, you're admitting that it's petty and that in the grand scheme of things, you don't have it that bad. So just knock it off. Everybody knows that it's a first world problem. It's not like you talk about, oh man, I re- my internet was down or out for a half hour and I just uh, I couldn't believe it. I just had to use my phone when I was actually going to use my tablet or something. Please, everybody knows that's a first world problem. Everyone knows it's only something that would happen in America or, or another well-to-do country. 
people who have problems that aren't first world problems aren't on Twitter using hashtags in the first place. So you really don't need to specify that it's a first world problem. We know. Someone who's living in the woods trying to forage for food to feed their family who needs to avoid getting eaten by a lion or something. Yeah, they don't have time to go on Twitter and say, oh, man, I'm such... I, I know there are some parody or uh, joking hashtags or accounts or whatever where people have like third world problems where it's like came home, my whole family was eaten by a tiger, third world problems or something. There, there are some people who make fun of it, but I, just, I, I wish that would go away. That and just saying. Everybody is just saying something. You don't need to emphasize it or, or put it at the end of a sentence or put it at the end of a tweet. Of course, you're just saying it. You're on Twitter. You're not saying it because it has any kind of impact. The average tweet has zero impact whatsoever. It may be funny. It may be inspirational. It may have something behind it. But yeah, you are just saying it. So you don't need to. It, it's redundant. You don't need to overemphasize it. And I actually, I thought it was one of the things I thought was really funny. And uh, I was happy to see pointed out in Iron Man 3, which it's not a spoiler, so don't worry about it, but some douchebag comes up with a cell phone and is asked Tony Stark something about the Mandarin and then ends it with just saying. And I kind of thought it was cool that they put it in the context of like, oh, here's a douchebag saying it. He's a douchebag anyway for bothering him and trying to film him paparazzi style on his camera phone. And he's saying, oh, just saying, because that makes him look as stupid as people who use that phrase. So the just saying thing, knock it off. First world problems, knock it off. We know. Don't emphasize how silly you're being. All right, so as I'm taking this time to rant, and uh, I normally do talk about things that I see when I'm out and about, here are a few things that I've noticed while being out and about. First one is not so much while I was in New Jersey. It was definitely more before I, I flew home to visit, and it uh, didn't really happen while I was there, and has already happened since I've been back. I've only been back a couple of days, and this has happened. It has happened to me in Target, Best Buy, and the aforementioned Whole Foods. And that is, I am always asked, someone will stop me while I'm walking and say, do you work here? Or can you help me with something? Thinking that I work there. And I'm convinced it's because when I'm out and about, more often than not, I am moving with purpose. I'm going somewhere. I'm looking for something. I'm not just kind of shuffling through wherever I am like a zombie, uh, like most people are, I think, when they're out shopping. Now, the funny part is I admit it myself because it's the truth, and uh, friends of mine make fun of me for it all the time, but I am, even in the hot Los Angeles weather, normally dressed in jeans and a t-shirt and boots. Now, if you go into Target, which chances are you have, you'll notice that they're wearing a red shirt and khakis. Best Buy, a blue shirt and khakis. At Whole Foods, they're usually dressed uh, however, you know, pretty, in pretty much whatever. I can't really see a, a dress code there. But they do wear aprons. And I am not wearing any of these things. I never wear khakis unless I have to for some kind of occasion or a job interview or a job. I've had jobs where I've had to wear khakis. That's fine. Don't really wear red shirts or blue shirts with Best Buy embroidered on them. <laughs> And I don't go shopping in aprons, but I feel like I always get stopped just because I'm moving with a sense of purpose like you would think a person who's on the job would be moving. Out in California, not so much. And that's one of the things that I think definitely distinguishes me as being from the East Coast because I move with a sense of purpose. I move like I'm going somewhere. If you're walking around, okay, Hollywood's a bad example because there are a lot of tourists and people are stopping to take pictures. But I was going to say, comparing Hollywood to New York City. Oh, no, there are a lot of tourists in New York City. Okay, that, that comparison will stand. 
If you visited both, or if you visit both, you will definitely notice people in New York are moving with purpose. They are going somewhere. They have things to do, just like I do when I'm out shopping. I'm more often than not not cruising the aisles, just kind of scoping things out or seeing what's around. When I go out, I'm going out for a reason. I'm at the store to pick up something or to look for something. And that reminds me, when I'm at a store, specifically a store like Target, which is kind of a one-stop shopping, you can pick up your groceries and a DVD and socks all in the same trip, whereas you can't do that so much at uh, Whole Foods or Best Buy. But, oh man, people, stop price-checking entire carts of merchandise. If I find something out of place, because I can certainly read labels, I don't need to price-check everything, but if I find one random thing or it's not clearly marked what the price is, I may walk over to scan the barcode and see what the price is, but people have entire carts. It's ridiculous. And yeah, that's something I've noticed everywhere. (laughs) It's not just uh, exclusive to Los Angeles, and it's not something that's just happened in New Jersey either, but oh man, stop checking entire carts, people. Chances are you picked the thing up off of a shelf that was labeled or off of a peg that was labeled, or sometimes on a big end cap that has a price on the top of it. Stop taking up price-checking machines. Ah, just read. It's ridiculous that people actually need to just check every single item. And come on, it's not as if they're adding it up gradually if they don't have the, the presence of mind to actually notice how much a price tag says when they're picking the item up. They're probably not adding it up to see if they have enough money to cover everything in their cart or something like that. Really, people, stop checking prices on everything you're buying. Check an item or two and... Move on with your day. It's obnoxious when you check every single thing, so knock it off. One more obnoxious thing, because this just happened the other day since I got back, and this is not the only in Los Angeles moment. Uh, That is coming (laughs) for the the second episode in a row. But this did happen to me uh, when I was out shopping the other day, sure enough. Uh, I went to a store, grocery store, and had to use the restroom. Now, the ladies' room was closed off for cleaning. It had a sign up in front of it saying uh, restroom closed for cleaning. That's fine. Now, there was a man standing at the door of the men's room. It was open a little bit, and I just needed, I'm sorry, I actually, I wasn't using the restroom. I was just going to wash my hands. I don't remember what the reason was, but that's right. I didn't actually have to use the restroom. I just had to stop and wash my hands. All the more reason this was ridiculous. So I start walking toward the restroom, and the man who doesn't work at the store, by the way, just kind of stops me and says, uh, I'm, I'm waiting. My mother needs to get into the restroom. And I said, uh... Okay, I just need to go in and wash my hands. And he says, yes, but she's been waiting. And she's waving, saying, no, no, go ahead. No, it's okay and all that. And I'm saying, I'm just going to wash my hands if she's going to come in here. Because his defense was, well, the ladies' room is closed. She needs to use the restroom. So I'm going to take it upon myself to close the men's room so my mother can use the restroom. And uh, I said, right, she can use the restroom. I'm just coming in to wash my hands. I'll be out in 10 seconds. I'm fine if she comes in. And I, she was waving basically motioning. He, she wasn't speaking English, but she was kind of saying, you know, I'll let him go ahead. I got that from what she was saying, or maybe I was just hoping she was on my side. But he did kind of back up and give me just about enough room to squeeze past him and go in there. But I was in seriously for 10 seconds, washed my hands and left. How the hell obnoxious are you that you think, oh, well, here's the solution. The ladies room is closed. I'll just close the men's room. So I could take care of my mom. And look, if the woman was incontinent or something like that or, or had an emergency where she had used the bathroom, totally different story. But at the same time, don't stop other people from getting in there. 
I mean, if I was out with one of my parents and that was the case, first of all, they would never say, don't close off the rest. What, what's wrong with you? Why the hell would you close off one restroom? That's not going to help anybody. It's just such a, such a narcissistic thing to just, oh, okay, well, since my mother's inconvenienced, I'm going to inconvenience everybody else and take it upon myself to not let any guys in the men's room while my mother uses the restroom. No, too bad. If you want to stand at the door and say, uh, my mother's in there because the, she's in one of the stalls because the ladies' room is closed for cleaning, so uh, just a heads up. Different story, but don't try and stop people from going in there. Give me a break. That I thought was absolutely pointless. So, yeah, people, don't be that jackass. Don't close off the restroom because you're just going to anger a bunch of people while taking care of your mother who, from what I can tell, doesn't have an emergency. So, yeah, up yours, buddy. <laughs> He's not listening anyway. But, man, that, that, oh, that just irritated me so much. All right, last item I'm going to complain about. Just because I found it funny, uh, I love Men's Health Magazine. I've been reading it since about 2007. I, well, I've had a subscription for that long. And uh, I do really, really like it. Pick up some workout tips, some dietary tips. There are a few interesting columns like uh, Men's Health Girl Next Door, which is guys asking questions of women. Uh, Jimmy the Bartender, which is a guy who's been bartending for ages. People send in kind of their everyman questions, let's say, and he gives kind of real life advice. I love Men's Health Magazine. But... I got an email from them, which I get an email from various, uh, let's say, departments of men's health most days. And uh, this one surprised me. And I just have to share this with people. And uh, that is the five worst sex positions ever. I'm not going to challenge the lack of an explicit label in this segment, by the way. But I had to share these with you because I think it's so funny uh, I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm not going to read the article verbatim. If you go to menshealth.com, you can certainly uh, search for it. Five worst sex positions. I can't imagine more than one article is going to pop up if uh, more than one does, and then that's just bad news. But here are, without going into details, here are the positions that apparently are the worst. Oh, surveyed over 1,200 women's health readers about their least favorite sex positions. That's where these results come from. Uh, I don't know that they're in, it doesn't look like they're in any sort of order. But here are the positions, doggy style, woman on top, reverse cowgirl, missionary, and 69. Well, thanks a lot, women of the world. What the hell does that leave? <laughs> Those are the most common positions anybody has. There, there are modifications that are suggested, but are you kidding? Those are all the common positions. What options are we left with? Pile driver? Swinging from a chandelier? What? Honestly, what the hell? <laughs> Missionary is pretty standard. Doggy style, I would say, is pretty much standard. 69. A woman on top, reverse cowgirl. What the hell? That If those are the least popular or the, the least comfortable or just overall the worst, that only leaves really, really obscure ones. I know there are tons. I'm not trying to sound prudish or completely uninformed because, yes, there are plenty. I've dipped into... Cosmo on occasion just to see what they suggest. But those are seriously the most common positions. If they're all the worst, then, oh, man. Thank you, women. Much appreciated that you're eliminating all, all the most conventional sexual positions. That's, that's just awesome. All right. Now, here we go again. Time for Only in Los Angeles. Now, this is a legitimate. I don't think anyone can contest this. This is a legitimate Only in Los Angeles because I'm talking about Sunset Boulevard, and there may be Sunset Boulevards throughout the country, but you guys know the one I'm talking about. It's right in the middle of Hollywood. Maybe not geographically, but figuratively speaking, it's in the middle of Hollywood. 
it's any wonder I actually notice this at all because I don't often like going over the hill into Hollywood. That's that's a weird thing. And here we go. Here, here's a tangent. But uh, I actually realized recently that I don't so much like going over the hill. As I say, I'm sure other people say it, but to go, since I live on the other side of the Hollywood Hills, if I go over them, I'm going to be in Hollywood and that whole area. And I used to live there when I first moved to California seven years ago. I had an apartment that was, the building was actually on Hollywood Boulevard. So I lived there and I would walk to Musicians Institute about a half mile up Hollywood Boulevard. So I did live there and it was great at the time. But now I don't even like going over there to drive through or to drive to something that's going on in the area. I like going to Amoeba Records, which is on Sunset Boulevard as well, but I, I don't always want to go there. and <laughs> I don't always want to sit in traffic or whatever. Maybe it's a side effect of getting older because when I was, how old was I? I was 24 when I moved out here uh, the first time to go to school and I loved it. I thought living in Hollywood was great and walking through there every night. I mean, eventually it just became the neighborhood and having to walk down Hollywood Boulevard and through tourists and all that just became the way it was. It was just how things were. That was just daily life. So you kind of forget the glamour of it <laughs> just becomes, oh, okay. It's uh, it's just, this is the neighborhood. This is the way I walk to school. But I, I don't know. Maybe it's a, a sign that I'm getting older that I don't really like going into that area anymore and I don't want to walk around or, or at the same time, it's not new to me anymore. So maybe it's not getting old so much as it's just old to me. I might do a total 180 with my opinion and not feel remotely the same thing and another seven years about uh, some other things. But regardless, when I was driving down Sunset Boulevard, I noticed a handful of people, not together, but stretched across a couple of miles, people jogging on Sunset Boulevard, which I only find silly because it's it, it seems desperate. I'm going to go jogging, but I'm going to go jogging on Sunset Boulevard where there's a lot of people in cars and a lot of people walking around and all that. Like, are you just doing it just to get noticed? Because that's really how it seems, at least to me. It, it just seems a little little desperate. It's not as if you can't just jog on a side street. There are plenty of side streets. It's not as if you could just go. I mean, there are a bunch of gyms as well in the area. It's not as if you could. And I'm not saying you need to go pay a gym membership and all that because we all know gyms aren't cheap around here. Trust me on that. But jogging on Hollywood, excuse me. Uh, well, I'm sure people do it on Hollywood Boulevard too. But jogging on Sunset Boulevard just seems a little bit desperate. So... But again, people, I, I think, assume they're going to be discovered or someone's going to see them or someone's going to think they're hot. I think, I think guys are, are more stupid when it comes to this. And I, I, it's not that I've seen just guys, but I think guys are a little more naive in thinking, oh, a woman's going to see me and see that I'm fit or see my arms. Or maybe she'll, some woman will see my arms and how in shape I am. And maybe she'll let me in her car and, and take me home and screw my brains out or something. I, guys are more stupid when it comes to stuff like that. But there may be some who think, they'll get discovered or someone's going to see them and uh, they're going to be a star or something like that, or they're going to be a model or who knows what, but jogging on sunset Boulevard, really just, it, you're just, you're looking for attention. That's all there is. Don't do it or do it, but can only be done in Los Angeles. So that is the only in Los Angeles moment for this week. All right. Time to wind down the show with my uh, recommendation, which, bear with me, it's going to take a minute or so to get to what I'm talking about. But uh, I was intrigued a few weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was a trailer that went up online, like a full four and a half minute, let's say, a season trailer for the show called The Blacklist, which is going to be premiering on NBC in the fall. And I'm glad that I saw it because a year from now, or well, more or less a year from now, three of the shows I do watch, of the handful of shows that I watch, uh, are going to be gone. How I Met Your Mother, Burn Notice, and Mad Men are all approaching their final seasons. 
Or they've started already. I'm not sure what the cable channel seasons are, like for Burn Notice, let's say, or for um, Mad Men. And I don't believe Mad Men's getting extended. I'm pretty sure they're just going through season seven, and that's going to be it. But How I Met Your Mother, I know, will be gone next May, as well as the other two. I just don't know when their seasons end. But within the next year, those shows will be gone. Three shows I watch, gone. So I certainly will start watching new shows. I've yet to see any episodes of Breaking Bad or The Walking Dead. And yes, I know, it's blasphemy. And everybody gets on my case because I haven't seen it. Certainly all my friends, because they just love zombies. But no, I haven't seen any of those. And I will sit and watch them. Hell, I haven't seen any episodes of Dexter since the end of season three. Which, since every season of Dexter has the same season arc, pretty much. uh, The next season that I would have to watch would be the season with John Lithgow. So I, I do need to catch up on that. I'm aware. I haven't watched Dexter in a good three years or so. So there are some things I'll be catching up on. But anyway, the blacklist looked really cool. And I was intrigued by it. Because James Spader's in it, who I've become a big fan of over the last few years. And watching this show, even though he's playing a completely different character, it made me think back to Boston Legal, which was the last show that I actually watched on the network's schedule. Uh, It did go off the air five years ago. It ended in December 2008. But having seen the, the trailer for this new show, which does look cool, it's kind of a thriller about terrorists and all sorts of stuff. Uh, look it up. You can see a full, like I said, it's a very long trailer on um, NBC's YouTube channel. So look up the blacklist and uh, check that out. So that isn't my, sort of my recommendation. But having seen this and thinking again, I thought, man, I haven't seen Boston Legal in a good long time. I really would like to watch that again. And my sister has all the seasons with her. So I started watching the show again. Well, actually, I watched the last season. I think I may have missed a few episodes or don't remember it too well. Because while it was airing, it was my life and time. They were both a little hectic. So I did want to rewatch that because I remember overall how things ended, but I didn't remember specific episodes. And then I started watching the show from the beginning again. So I watched seasons one through three in sequence. And man, that is such a great show. And that is my recommendation. I mean, Boston Legal, it's, you wouldn't think, I never would have thought a legal drama would be something that I would be into, much less tune in to watch every week. Uh, and it actually, the show suffered from the similar, uh, well, something that's more a staple of Fox's when it comes to moving shows around and never keeping them on the same night. I'm sure all the networks do it, but the show was actually, a lot of times, one of the things I enjoyed about it was the fact that they would break the fourth wall a lot and reference the fact that it was a show or reference how the show had been shifted from different days of the week. It was very, very funny, but done in a clever way. Not that it would take you out of the show. It was just kind of a a very subtle wink to, yeah, we know this is an actual TV show where the characters are staying in character, but referring to the situation as being a show or an episode. So that I thought was really funny. But unfortunately, despite, like a lot of shows, despite the critical praise and audience praise, it just didn't make it beyond a fifth season and the fifth season was a a short season it only had 12 episodes in it i'm glad that they did that because the show made it to 101 episodes but man what a cast first of all if you're an 80s baby like myself then you should like 80s luminaries already such as james spader you know him from a bunch of movies of course pretty in pink is probably one of the more notable ones some sci-fi geeks would know him from the stargate film which launched i believe the tv series and all the other movies and and whatnot Candace Bergen, a.k.a. Murphy Brown, also one of the leads in the show. More often than not, Betty White was on the show as a recurring character, was on for, I believe, overall the second season of the show, almost every episode. And who doesn't love Betty White? I say 80s because uh, the Golden Girls certainly 
John Larroquette was on the show for the, the fourth and fifth season. He was in Night Court. He was in Stripes. And aside from that, just, well, William Shatner, obviously. The main characters are pretty much played by James Spader, William Shatner, and Candace Bergen. That alone should sell you on the show. But it's it kind of started out as, let's say, a drama with comedic undertones. But it became a comedy with dramatic undertones. And the cases were very serious. Well, some of them were. Not all of them were, which is part of the fun of the show. But ultimately, it was the characters that made the show interesting. It's all these lawyers at a high-end law firm taking on some very serious cases and some ludicrous cases. And to show you how good the the show was when it came to writing, I should say, more than good, how incredible the show was when it came to writing. Considering these are court cases and there was always a defending side and an opposing side, they would actually have to write compelling arguments for each side. So you had to look at issues such as, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head now, having just watched 60 or so episodes of the show, I should have a ready example. But uh, okay, let's say something like a testing cattle for mad cow disease. It could be something where it's, you know, the government doesn't uh, mandate, or at least in the episode. I mean, it's, it, one of the things is some of the topics were of the time. It was under the Bush administration. It was during uh, more of the, the peaks of tension in the Iraq war and everything that kind of came along with that particular era of the early 21st century. But you would take something, let's say, testing cattle for mad cow disease and the government saying they don't have to or that they shouldn't, and there would have to be defense for like, well, do we want the government interfering with our food? Or these cows should be tested because people have a right to have clean meat, let's say. That's just one off the top of my head. That was something that was in... The fi- well, I think they touched on it twice over the, the series of the show, or the, the run of the, the series, I should say. Who else is in the show? I'm glad you asked. Julie Bowen, who's in Modern Family, and everybody loves Modern Family. Kerry Washington was on the show for quite a few episodes, and everybody obviously knows who she is and loves her. She's in Scandal. She was in Django Unchained, of course. Uncle Ruckus was on the show for the third and fourth season, and maybe parts of the fifth. Gary Anthony Williams, who's a great actor, who does a lot of voiceover, certainly Uncle Ruckus, and you, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He's been around for a while, and he's fantastic in the show because he gets to play a character that has uh, that kind of hides behind other characters because of his shyness, so he actually gets to flex a lot of really, really cool acting muscle. And he's one of those people who's really good because he can act uh, in front of the camera, and he's really great at voiceover, and it seems rare that the two actually work well within the same person. A pre-Glee Jane Lynch had a a couple different uh, spots on the show where she had a, a story arc. Uh, Katie Segal was on several episodes of the show, certainly. I mean, you know her as, as, I mean, Married with Children and now Sons of Anarchy, another show I've yet to see, which I do want to check out, so it, it'll happen. Tom Selleck, Magnum himself, and Quigley was on the show. He was on a bunch of episodes. Monica Potter, who's on Parenthood, she was in the first and uh, part of the second season of the show. She's one of the original cast. Michael J. Fox had quite a, a good story arc on the show. He was on a load of episodes. I mean, come on. Michael J. Fox, everybody. And let's not forget Ghostbusters connections, of course. Walter Peck and Richard Thornburg himself. William Atherton was on one of the shows. Janine Melnitz was on an episode. Yeah, Annie Potts was on an episode of the show as well. I mean, what a cast. Like, considering all the people that are on the show... Then, yeah, fellow podcaster Larry Miller was on a bunch of episodes and was one of the partners who uh, suffers a mental breakdown and ends up uh, having to spend some time absent from the firm. But he's one of the named partners at the law firm 
Crane, Poole, and Schmidt. But man, what a cast. And what became the comedy team of James Bader and William Shatner on the show, it was priceless. And uh, as I said, with the cases and the writing and all that, it's one of those shows where, and it's always how I, one of the things I enjoyed best about the show during its run, the fact that after the show was over, it's something you can talk about. You can talk about the cases. You can talk about what your take is on a particular issue that was addressed in the show because it was very much, like I said, it was of the time. Not that it's outdated now. The show's only been off the air for five years and 2004 to 2008 still pretty fresh in everybody's mind, right? So everybody certainly has context for what's going on in the show, but I'm pretty sure all the seasons, I checked on Amazon recently, every season of the show is less than 20 bucks, I believe, on Amazon. Pick up the first season, check it out. You can find some clips online and all that, but not a whole lot. But I can't recommend the show highly enough. I love it. It's one of the best shows that's ever been on TV. James Spader as Alan Shore and William Shatner as Denny Crane, two of the best characters that have been on primetime television. Let's put it this way. If you like Dr. House on House, chances are that you will love Denny Crane and Alan Shore. And Denny Crane, William Shatner's character, is pretty much like a the closest thing to a modern Archie Bunker when it comes to saying really inappropriate things, but at the same time, you just love the character, even though he says stuff that's way ridiculous and that, oh man, I can't believe he just said something like that because something that's so, hate to use the term politically incorrect, but it's true. Some of the things he would say were just so outlandish, but you just love the character anyway. It's, It's such a great show and I encourage everybody out there to check it out. So Boston Legal, do it buy all the seasons and hopefully it'll be i know it was on nick at night i don't know if it is anymore but hopefully it'll show up on uh, netflix or some streaming service and people will it'll it'll find an audience through there i'm sure the show is not going to be coming back at all (laughs) as everyone has moved on to various different things but yeah because of the blacklist i revisited boston legal and there are many things i like about it even more having watched it in in some cases the third time through because some episodes i've seen more than others because i watched a few repeatedly on dvd I love the show, and yeah, go check it out. Do it right now. Go check it out. Uh, And you can because the show is over. That's it, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to yet another episode of this show. And as always, check out the only podcast that matters. As I said earlier, iTunes, Stitcher, Beyond Pod, always at theonlypodcast.com. Jack DeFranco is still posting movie reviews on the website semi-regularly. So check those out and get the latest reviews on all the recent summer releases and of course check back to find this show uh well subscribe to the show on itunes as i said but every other monday chris abalo's podcast experiment thank you very much for listening i am chris abalo and this was yet another experiment (laughs) 